0: Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So Romans chapter 5, you can put it up on the screen. If you'll put it up in the New King James Version, please. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read the first Gosh, five verses or so, and I think that's where we'll camp out today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we are also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, I want to I end up in that verse 5 and try to camp there. Uh, today. That's kind of my target, that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But we got to do a little bit of context and a little bit of homework to get us to verse five. So we're going to just kind of pick these verses apart beginning in verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. So when I hear words like justified, I'm very comfortable with those words because I've heard those kind of words my whole life. But justified, it's not necessarily a word that we use a whole lot. It's one of those words like righteousness. It's one of those words like atonement. It's a a Christianese kind of word. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever have somebody just, you know, a real heady theological person start to talk to you about the Bible and they're just, it's just way over your head and they're using words like justification and righteousness and propitiation and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Good exegesis and eisegesis and all these theological words. Well, justified sometimes comes across as a theological word. But I like the way my dad broke it down for us when we were in Bible college. He said, if you want to know what it means to be justified, you could say it this way, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. To be justified, is, is it means to us that as Christians, we can live as though we have never transgressed. And this is a huge Huge thought for us to, to, to chew on for a second, because I, I don't know about you, I only know about myself, but how many times has this happened to you guys, That where you make a mistake, you sin, whether it was intentional or unintentional, because there's intentional and unintentional sins, but whether it was intentional or not, you sin, and you immediately feel rotten. Anybody feel rotten when they do the wrong thing? Yes. Just one of you in the back says, thank you. <laughs> Great, awesome. Well, I guess we need to have a prayer and healing line instead of preaching today. That's right, praise God. <laughs> no, when you do something wrong, you know it. You have, you have something on the inside going, err. I think I've told you the story before, but it probably bears repeating about when my sister and I were in high school, uh, or actually it was after high school, we were in college, and... and uh, some friends of ours were having a party, and um, we were invited to go to this party, and we were talking in the car. It was just the two of us. I was driving, and uh, we were talking, and, and I looked at my sister, and I was like, we probably shouldn't go to this party, should we? She's like, I don't think we should. It's probably not the right thing to do. And I was like, so you want to go? She's like, yeah. So, <laughs> and, we, and we went. <laughs> And we got there, and people were doing bad things, so we left, which was good. But um, how many of you have been in that situation where you know you're about to do something you're not supposed to do, but you do it anyway? And you come out on the other side with grief. You come out on the other side with this this hyper-awareness of the fact that you missed it. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You come out on the other side, and you're like, man, I really screwed the pooch on this one. The Bible is here to instruct us and remind us that because of the faith that we've put in Christ Jesus, we are able as Christians to live without this recognition of our sins. That we're invited into an understanding that, yeah, we made a mistake, but you know what? Because God is so gracious, I don't have to live with the weight of that mistake my whole life. I can be justified. If you're justified in a court of law, what does it mean? It means that, means that you're covered, right? I mean, if you, if you were handed down some kind of you know, terrible sentence uh, and, and then somebody stepped into the courtroom and said, wait a minute, that sentence doesn't belong to that person because they've been justified, they've been cleared, their name has been cleared. That's what it means. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what your background is, no matter how many times this week, no matter how many times on the way to church this morning you screwed up, you are justified, not by your own work, but by the blood of Jesus. That's why we sang about this morning when we were singing, come to the altar. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Bow down before him, for he's Lord of all. His blood, his mercy has covered us. And because of that sacrifice, we are justified. It doesn't give us the excuse to go out and start sinning. Amen. It doesn't, doesn't give us a reason to go out and start, you know, well, by God, I've been justified, so I'm going to go cheat on my wife later today. Sounds like a good time, don't you think? No. doesn't give us an excuse to sin. But it it lets us know that there is safety in the arms of Jesus. It lets us know that because there's a covenant in place, I can live with freedom. The book of Hebrews talks about us not carrying around a consciousness of our sins. And I know I want to get to verse 5, but there's just so much to talk about between here and verse 5. You have to understand, my friend, That you've been justified by the mercy of God and by the grace of God. And you now received and you get to partake in this awesome gift of grace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what do we have? What's the scripture say we have? We have peace. Peace with God. How many of you are happy that Jesus isn't angry with you this morning? Come on, can I have a better amen than that? Aren't you glad God's not angry with you this morning? He took all of his anger and he loaded it on his son before he sent him to the cross. That's amazing. It's amazing that Jesus was the one. We, can, we could go read about it. It's in Galatians chapter 2 if you want to go read about that later, in chapter 3 actually as well. But um, Galatians teaches us that God took all of his wrath, and he put it on Jesus. That means he's got none left for you. Wow. Wow. God's not got no wrath left for you. He's not sitting in heaven waiting for you to make a mistake. A lot of people think that he is. A lot of people live with a fear that God is just, man, if I mess up, man, that's it. I screwed it up. Covenant's over. I'm done. A lot of people think that, that their relationship with God is so temperamental because the Lord is so temperamental. They just think like, yeah, the Lord loves me right now, but I, it's because I haven't done anything wrong today. And they, and they live with this mindset that as long as, I'm, as, long as I you know, do everything perfectly, then God's going to be satisfied with my life. But that's not true. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Go read Romans chapter eight, it'll set you free. Neither height, depth, breadth, length, width, angels, demons, principalities, powers, nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God. If you're a parent, you understand this. You you can watch your kids be boneheads from morning till evening and somehow you still love them. I mean, you might want to clock them, but you still love them, and it's like no matter what they do to you, that love doesn't go away, and it just doesn't change because you just love them, and what's amazing is if, 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 you, if you're a parent, you totally get this. If you could imagine how much you love your child and then recognize That love in its most intense form absolutely is pale and colorless in in comparison to how much Jesus loves you. I mean, you you could, oh man. No matter how much you love your kids, Jesus loves them more than you do. And he loves you the same. And nothing can separate you from that love. Again, I'm not giving people a, a license to go out and sin. I'm not saying it's a great idea to go out and just, you know, commit crimes and just break the law and sin, be terrible. No. My dad used to say, when we were in Bible college, he would say to us all the time, I'm not giving people a license to sin. They sin without a license all the time. <laughs> I don't need to give you permission to sin. You're doing it anyway, so. What we want, what we want to understand is that Because of the blood of Jesus and because of the mercy of Jesus, we've been justified. We've been made righteous. And now, according to verse 1, we have peace. We have peace with God. Through whom, verse 2, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Goodness gracious. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I've been preaching for five weeks on hope. Y'all know what hope is, right? It's expectation. It's heartfelt, earnest, eager, excited expectation. I love what Pastor Verna said last week in the video that we showed you. She said hope is when is sitting on the edge of your seat excitement about what God said he would do in your life. Amen. Y'all are quiet this morning. You still got some turkey on your stomach, don't you? I can tell. Too many biscuits. I, I get it. <laughs> Sorry. this <laughs> made myself laugh. Sorry. Get it together, Josh. Now, we, y- y'all know what hope is. He says that we have accessed by faith this marvelous, awesome thing called the grace of God. And because faith is working in our lives and because grace is working in our lives, we actually stand rejoicing in hope, in expectation of the glory of God. What's what's the glory of God? Did you ever think about that before? Before? I know I'm just freeform here this morning. I'm just leading you through these scriptures, so what is the glory of God? It's the, it's the weight of His goodness. It's the weight of His presence. I was just talking with a friend the other day. we were having lunch on Tuesday. we were talking about the glory of the Lord. and I said, "You know, in the Old Testament, when it talks about glory, it talks about something that comes down and settles. When you, when you would look at the, there's a couple different Hebrew words for the glory of the Lord, and uh, what, what, what they mean, the habod is the Hebrew word for the glory of the Lord, and it means something that comes down and it settles. It's a heavy thing. It's, it's, it's weightiness. It's God's splendor, man. It's his majesty. It's, it's, it's his presence. It's... When God arrives somewhere, his glory comes with him, you see. And, and that's what it looks like in the Old Testament. And you can look at examples of the glory of God in the Old Testament. And, and you can see that the, it, was, it would always show up like this heavy cloud that would come and rest. So that's the Old Testament ideology of the glory of God. The New Testament idea, the Greek concept, is, is that the glory of the Lord is something that springs up. So in in Hebrew, the glory comes down. In in Greek, the glory comes up. I I, I liken it to a percolating coffee pot. If you ever saw a percolating coffee pot, the water starts in the bottom and it heats up and it bubbles and it bubbles and it bubbles and then coffee comes out. It's kind of like when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like there's a percolator on the inside of you just going. It's like the Holy Ghost is there just trying to get out. Well, those are the two different concepts of the glory of God. One is the glory that comes and settles on something. The other one is the glory that bubbles up from somewhere. When you put the two of them together, you get Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You see, you and I, when we become justified by faith, when we receive this righteousness, when we step into this beautiful thing called the grace of God, we have peace with God, everything's working in our favor in our lives, and we are left here rejoicing with excitement in expectation that the glory of God would bubble up from within us and spill out onto us. It's the glory of the Lord that changes things. You can't get exposed to the glory of God and stay depressed. You can't jump into the glory of the Lord. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about just like having goosebumps in a really good church service. Right? The glory of the Lord's not reduced to a church service. The glory of the Lord is his splendor on display for the universe. That's how you can walk around in the forest and sense the glory of the Lord. You can walk outside and see the trees. You can, get, you can catch a really good sunset. And man, whew, you can go, Lord, you're so glorious. The glory is, is whenever something moves you and God gets credit for it. Amen. Amen. The glory of the Lord is, is, is what our hearts are yearning for all the time. It's what we desire to see in our our church. It's what we we desire to see in our community. It's what we desire to see all around us. The glory of the Lord. It says that we stand in this grace, verse 2, rejoicing in expectation of the glory of God. Then it says, we also glory in tribulations. Anybody got an eraser? We'll just take this one out. <laughs> Maybe we'll just take this verse and just erase it. We also glory in tribulations, verse three. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now, I went ahead and looked up the Greek word for, per, for tribulation. And it's a very simple word and it's very easy to understand. It's, it's the word which means a test. A test. How many of you have been through some tests in your life? Yeah. Testing things. Now, I was, I was talking with my pastor last week, and, and, and he said something that was so good. He said, you know, God never tests us with evil. He definitely tests us with good, though. Think about that for a second. See, most people will see this verse, and they think, you know, we glory in tribulations, and their mind goes back to Aunt Betty who got cancer. And they think, oh, that was a tribulation. Yeah, it was a test, but it wasn't from the Lord. See, we need to understand the difference. Boy, I don't want to get off on this subject. (laughs) Suffice it to say, God doesn't test us with evil, but he does test us with good. You get a promotion on your job, guess what? You're being tested. You're being watched as to how you're going to handle it. You have some kids, somebody somebody have a brand new baby, guess what? Test. Believe me, I got three of them, and they're perfect all the time. They never make mistakes. They never poop. (laughs) Never make a mess, do you, Claire? No, the word tribulation is the word which means a test, And, and any new season of life and any forward progress can be treated as a test. Whether it's good or bad makes no difference. You see, Paul Paul doesn't take a left turn into negative town here. It's easy for us to read a scripture like this and immediately get overwhelmed by, oh, oh, I don't like this. This scripture makes me feel uncomfortable. He's talking about tribulation, and we start thinking about the mark of the beast or something like that. You know, no, this just simply means that it's that when we go through a test in our life, we actually glory in those situations just as much as in the good ones. Just as much as a day where you have no, no pressure, you have no outside influence trying to work against you, just on the, the good days, when it's easy to give God glory, on the days when we sense pressure, we're supposed to give God glory in those days too. Are you all awake? Okay, say amen. amen. Thank you, very good. Amen. Good good job, class. No, the days when we, listen, the days when we when we feel like Everything is working against us. You ever had a everything is working against me kind of day? I mean, I'm talking about you drop your keys in the mud on the way out the door. Your coffee spills on your pants when you get in the car. Uh, the air conditioner doesn't work. And you, got, you get to, church, to to work to find out that there was some meeting that you missed and you're late and your boss is angry with you. And then turns out you grab the wrong lunch on the way out the door and just things aren't working. Your computer breaks down and, you know... Whatever, the IRS calls you tells you you owe them $10,000. I don't know. Just one of those days where nothing's working. You open a door and it hits you in the forehead. You know what I'm talking about? Like just everything's working against me today. Those are tribulation days. Those are days of testing. The, the, the literal transliteration or translation of the word tribulation means pressure. I looked it up for you. It means pressure. Pressure days are days when we give God glory all the more. Because we, we don't glorify the situation. We glorify God in the situation. Amen? I don't, I don't, I don't glorify. You see, you, you hear people do this all the time. They Going through a bad day, going through a bad season of life, going through a bad situation. And all they want to do is talk about how bad it is. And all I want to do is say, stop talking about how bad it is. Why don't you talk about how good your God is? Amen. When it gets rough, when it gets challenging, when you're in a tribulation moment, don't talk about how bad the situation is. Talk about how good God is. That's how you give, that's how you glory in tribulation. That's how you give God praise no matter what you're going through. Amen. When the pressure comes, glory in the Lord. Amen. Not only that, he said, verse three. But we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Anybody that's ever been to a gymnasium knows that's the truth. You ever worked out before? You know. Pressure produces perseverance. You can't lift 200 pounds when you first go in there. 300 pounds, whatever it is. But after you've been there doing it for a couple weeks, you're starting to be able to lift it. After you do it for six months, you, you, you put more plates on, you put more weight on because the pressure that you've exposed yourself to is producing perseverance in you and you're actually getting stronger. Amen. Is this okay? Is this helping you this morning? Okay. Not only that, we glory in tribulations knowing tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. I like the way that it reads in the old King James there. For the word character, it's the word experience. Pressure produces perseverance. Perseverance produces experience. Have you ever spent time around somebody that's experienced at something? They're good at it. They do it well. They're not surprised by it one of the things that I've noticed in my own life, the older I get and the more I walk walk and work in pastoral ministry, I'm surprised by less and less and less things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you've been doing something for a long time, man, you just don't get thrown very easily the way you used to. Now, so now tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance produces character or uh, experience and watch this, character, what does it produce? Hope. Wow, that's a weird pathway to arrive at hope, right? I thought, Pastor Josh, I thought that hope was when I expect God to do something good. Well, yeah, that is what hope is. Hope is when I have an expectation that God is going to be God. But how do I get to an expectation? How do I get to the point where I'm expecting God to be good in my life? Well, that has to happen through you giving God a chance to actually be good in your life. That has to happen by you get in a bad situation, you get in a challenging spot, and God comes through in that situation and meets your need and proves himself to you, and you were in a pressure cooker there for a little bit, but you found out that as you trusted God in the pressure that he actually turned out to be who he said he was gonna be, and that gave you some experience, and that experience built up your character, and now you have an expectation of who God says he was gonna be. Isn't that amazing? See, we think sometimes that hope is just some arbitrary thing that, you know, somebody says God is good and then that's enough for me and now I have hope. No, 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 baby, let me tell you what. You got, you, what, what do you need faith for if you never have any opposition in your life? What do you need character for if you, if, if you never have a pressure day, if you never have a day of tribulation? What do you need these attributes of God for? Character, faith, consistency, Perseverance. What do you need those things for if you don't encounter something once in a while? Listen, I want, I want your life to be easy just as much as I want my life to be easy. But if you've been older, if, you know, if you're older than 10 days old, you probably recognize life's not always easy. Amen. I know, this is really a goosebumps kind of message, I know. We arrive at hope. Because we've been through challenges and we've been through things where we've actually watched God prove himself. And as we watch the Lord prove himself over and over in our life, we come to a place of expectation. We come to a place of hope in him. Now, look at verse five. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit who was given to us hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit who was given to us i don't know about you but this is one of those verses that if i read when i read it or when i've read it before just glancing at it, it's one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It, was, it wasn't until I spent some time to like dig into this verse that I actually understood what it was trying to say. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in my heart? That doesn't make sense. What do you mean, Paul? Because God put his love in my heart? For that reason, hope doesn't disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint. Y'all read that verse and get confused too, or is it just me? Don't make me feel so alone up here. I looked up the word disappoint in the Greek, and it means to bring down shame, interestingly enough. Hope does not bring down shame. Have you ever been embarrassed by something that you did that was stupid? Just me, huh? Trying to get a rise out of y'all this morning. It's the turkey, I'm telling you, it's the turkey. You do something stupid, and what happens? You immediately feel embarrassed by it, you feel shame, you feel like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Nope, oh, shouldn't have done that. I heard a joke one time. A guy said that he was in, uh, I believe it was Walmart, and uh, he was standing behind a guy who had had some kind of terrible accident with his neck, and he had, like, bars and rods holding his neck in place. You've seen that kind of thing before? The guy couldn't, could only move like this, you know? And the guy turned and looked at this fellow, and he said, I can't find my keys. And he looks back at him and said, You'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed on. And, he's, and he, said, he said, as soon as I said that, I thought, No, nah, shouldn't have said that. He had a little bit of shame. The word disappoint here means to bring down shame. Now, why, why would Paul use that word in conjunction with hope? Why would he say that hope does not bring down shame upon a person? Why would he say that we shouldn't feel ashamed for hoping in God? Why would he say that? Because... The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Okay, still doesn't make sense, Paul. You're telling me that I, I should not feel ashamed in expecting God to take care of me. Let's let's use let's use a practical example. Okay, God, the Bible says in Philippians four, uh, Philippians four, verse nineteen, that God will t- supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Right. Y'all follow with me so far? God says he's going to take care of you. He's going to supply all of your needs. So I read that. I believe it. I put my faith in that scripture. Now my hope rises up and I say, okay, I'm going to expect God to take care of my needs. Somebody will come along and tell me I'm stupid for doing that. Right? You You ever been believing God for a miracle, expecting God to do something, and you have a nosy relative or a coworker or somebody that says, you know, you're really stupid for believing that. Yeah, you're really dumb for believing God. They say, what what are you going to do about this situation? "I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm trusting in God. I put my hope, my expectation in God. The world will tell you you're stupid. The world will heap shame upon your head for believing in God. And Paul says that when we do that, we shouldn't be embarrassed. We shouldn't be shameful in our hoping. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to me. That on its own doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you read it in the context of the first four verses that we read, you start to understand the argument that Paul is making. He says that we've been justified. We've been given access to the grace of God. Our sins have been forgiven. We don't have to live with the shame and the weight of our sins. We don't have to live with guilt anymore. I have this peace with God. I'm standing in the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His favor is upon me. His blessing is upon me. So much so that he's actually proven himself through every moment of tribulation, every challenge and test that I've faced, has actually God has used it in a way to work and strengthen my inside so now I have expectation that he says who he's going to that he, he he is who he says that he's going to be and then I don't need to feel embarrassed ashamed or silly for trusting in God why because I recognize his character which is that he loves me too much to let me down The love of God has been shed abroad. It's been poured into my heart. It's filled up every ounce of who I am on the inside. The love of God has been poured into me. And because his love is in me, I know his character. I know who he is. I have a working relationship with him that's based upon his love poured out for me. And because of that, I'll expect him to be everything he said he was going to be. And I don't have to worry about being embarrassed. I don't have to worry about putting hope in God only to find out that I was misplaced hope. That was dumb. That was a stupid move. Shouldn't have trusted the Lord. I'll never get to that point. Why? Because I understand His love. Isn't that amazing? Does that verse make sense now? I would read that and I would go, these two things don't seem connected. What do you mean? Hope doesn't make me feel embarrassed because God's love's been poured out of my heart. I don't get that. Well, I get it when I read it in context. You will never, ever, ever be in the wrong for trusting in God. You will never find yourself up a creek, as they say, for putting your hope and your expectation in God when you understand the character and the love that's been poured out on the inside of you. This hope does not disappoint because the love of God's been poured out in our hearts. You know this word poured out in the Greek is actually just one word even though it's two in the English it's one word in the Greek and it's used all over the New Testament and The one that I thought was the most prominent usage of this word, apart from this verse here, is back in the Gospel of John, where the Scripture talks about Jesus in the temple. It's in John chapter 2. And Jesus is in the temple, and the Bible says he's over here braiding a whip of cords and he's watching all the people who are selling birds and doves and selling sacrifices basically monetizing the temple of Jesus the temple of God and the bible says Jesus gets up and he flips over the tables of the money change you remember that whole scene anybody ever watched Jesus of Nazareth the movie from the 70s yeah you remember when Jesus goes bananas and just starts chucking them aside that word poured out is used in John chapter 2 when it says that he poured out The money from the money changers. It's this Greek word that's almost violent. It's this Greek word that's so, um, what's the word? It's so active. It's so strong. It's such a sudden word that that is used here, uh, that it's used in that same spot, talking about Jesus pouring over the tables, man. It's amazing that when you and I get saved, something radical happens on the inside, The Holy Spirit comes and absolutely douses your heart with his love. Golly. I don't know about you, that blows my mind. That when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came. Y'all ever seen a a coach get the Gatorade dumped on him at the end of the Super Bowl? That's what I'm talking about. When, when, the, when, you get, when you gave your life to Jesus, something radical and profound happened that the Holy Spirit showed up to your heart with a bucket of God's Gatorade love and just, just doused your whole being in his love. And he did that so that you would understand his nature, so that you would understand his character. So that when it came time to put your hope in him, you knew that you were putting your hope in something that was sure. If I don't understand his love, I'll never understand him enough to put hope in him. But if I understand his love poured out in my heart, I'll have everything I need to trust in him. This is why it's so important to understand the love of Jesus. He loves you more than you'll ever love yourself. He loves you more than anyone on the planet is capable of loving another human being. When we when we put our confidence in him, we're not putting our confidence in a dud. You remember what we read a few weeks ago that it's impossible for God to lie. Remember that? That came from Romans chapter 4. It's it's impossible for God to lie. Abraham found this out to be true when he put his trust in God, when he put his hope. You remember we read it in verse 19 of, of Romans chapter 4 when he in hope, contrary to hope, believed. Abraham put all of his eggs in God's basket and he found out that God truly loved him. I'm telling you, it's not a fool's errand. It's not not stupidity. You don't need to be embarrassed or think yourself ashamed when you put your trust in Jesus. The world will try to convince you. The voices of society, even your own thoughts, will try to cheat you. And try to convince you that by believing in God, by putting your hope in the Lord... That you're being stupid. I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. To trust in the Lord, to put your hope in the Lord, is to put your confidence in the one who made this universe. To put your confidence in him is to put your confidence in the one who's never lost a battle put your confidence in him is to put your confidence and your trust and your hope and your expectation in the one who went to the greatest lengths to secure your life. Jesus died for you. He didn't just you, you just come to earth for you, he died for you. He didn't just come to earth for you, man, he went to hell for you. That's intense. You know, we used to sing a song back in the day in youth group, I was listening to it the other day. It randomly came up on my playlist. Lord, I lift your name on high. Y'all remember, Lord, I lift your name on high. It says, you came from heaven to earth to show us all the way from the earth to the cross, my sinful debt to pay from the cross to the grave and from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. You all remember that song? Think about the journey that Jesus went on to secure your life. The Bible teaches us that our life is not our own. Old Pentecostal preachers used to say it, you've been bought with a price. Why would Jesus go to such lengths to secure my life so that you would know his love, so that you could have his love Gatorade dumped on your heart so that you would put your confidence and your expectation and your hope in him? And that as you do that, as you put your hope in Jesus, the glory of the Lord begins to rise and be seen in your life. The more attention we give to God, the more we focus on him, is the more that we sense and see and are exposed to his glory. It's the only way to live, guys. It's the only way to live. I believe that that this message today, although it's slightly different from the way that I normally deliver messages, was for somebody and is for somebody. Whether it's for you here, whether it's for somebody watching, you need to know, you need to know that God can never lie That no matter what situation you are in, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you are not without hope. Because the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to the greatest love that has ever existed. And today you have a reason to rejoice because your life has been justified. There's nobody who can hold a charge against you. There's nobody who can say, yeah, but they messed up. Yeah, but they screwed up. Yeah, but they did this. Yeah, but they did that. Because you just fall back on the grace of God and say, yeah, so what? Jesus paid the price for my sin. Yeah, I made a mistake. Yeah, I failed. Yeah, I've fallen short. We all have. I'm justified by the mercy of God. Justified by the blood of Jesus, man. Because of that, you can stand with confidence before the Lord. You can stand with hope. You can expect the glory of God to be seen in your life. And I don't know who needed to hear that this morning, but I want you to hear it. God loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. That for him to fail you would would be for him to be something he's not. For him to fail would be for him to not be God. Trusting in the the finished work of Jesus' cross is is a life of freedom and a life of joy. I believe it's the life that God wants for us. Amen. You believe that this morning? Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.